Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bercher. This is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, where we are continuing to uh, pursue the acid tests and uh, investigate whether or not, or to what degree, using nature as a model to inform the big questions can help us move forward as a, as a species. That's a lot, but uh, this is episode 107 now since 100, so I've been talking a lot about what this is in these little 20-minute bursts, and we're going to continue that today. <clears throat> And really try to address a little bit more of the why question. Um, you know, why keep asking these questions about why are we here? What are our, is our purpose? Are humans doing a good job? Um, you know, what 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 are we supposed to be doing with the Earth? Uh, are the things that humans have done with the planet um, natural? You know, is Living in a natural system, a good idea. What are our global values? I mean, these are huge questions. And I think that <laughs> given the dramatic shift in, I will say, human socio-biological evolution in the last, say, 500 to 5,000 years, it, these questions are warranted. Um, things have changed dramatically. Whether you believe in climate change or not, or whether you think the severity of climate change is a big deal, uh, or not, it doesn't really matter. The evidence is pretty substantial that suggests we are changing our planet and uh, to a degree that we can't come back from. Um, we've used most of the available fossil fuels in a very short time that required millions and millions of years to build up. You know, it's like we're, um, we spent all of our initial investment that we put in the bank account to draw interest. And, and now we're living on whatever interest is left or something like that. That's probably a terrible analogy. Um, but we have, we have changed the planet in such a way that we can't change it back to the way it was. Now we're simply sort of being reactive and making adjustments. And the question becomes, what were the values that led here? What could have been different? And, and, and the, really, the big question is, how do we want to proceed? And that's what the why of all this is. How do we want to proceed into the future of, of humans? And if you use climate change as an example, and, and granted that it has to do with nature, and because I'm looking to nature to inform these big questions, climate change is a recurring theme, but it's not the focus or the only theme. Um, but if we want to use that, it's sort of like, um, do we continue to focus on the values that got us into this, things like uh, uh, capitalism, where we measure our value as humans in the amount of money, status, and power that we can acquire and work our way up whatever chain at whatever costs. Um, if that is the, if we wish to continue along that global value path, then we can sort of make predictions about what the future may look like. And to me, that's kind of the, the bleakest, right? We, we, we simply don't have the energetic resources to continue to fuel that system anymore. And if we keep trying, you know, that becomes a scramble. And you, then you sort of get what we're seeing now where the wealthy people get all the resources. And if you don't have any money, you don't get much of anything. And I, and I think most models would predict that that will continue to diverge um, into a bottom and a top and winners and losers. And then the other, the other sort of approach that I vote for, I guess, or that I keep coming back to is how did we live 
as a species for the hundreds of thousands of years prior to the last 5,000, <laughs> you know, the, the prior 195,000 years or whatever, you know, the 98% of our, our, and if you add Neanderthals in there and sort of hominids in general, you know, mo- by far most of our existence as hominids, we existed with a different relationship with our planet. We with, a, with what I would argue a different global value system. And sure, maybe there was lots of craziness too, like sacrificing babies in caves to make it rain or whatever. But um, one could make the argument that whatever that used to look like what's working better than it is now because it lasted for such a long time. And what really shifted is our capacity to um, usurp the energetic constraints of being human by exploiting other sources of energy like coal and oil and even wood burning and fires, right? Um, but more than that, we we increased our capacity to do work from a, a person power, remember like horsepower, you know, we used to measure like uh, how fast a buggy would go based on how many horses were pulling it or chariot or whatever. I, I, I'm butchering that, but you get the point. And we still use that as a measure of car, you know, a motorcycle has 150 horsepower. Well, well, that's what we did with people. It used to be we had like one person power and then maybe we had some tools that would increase that to five or six or 10 person power. But then when we started burning oil, it went up to, um, you know, tens of thousands of equivalent person labors, which meant we got a whole lot more stuff done a whole lot faster, um, which arguably is good or bad. We got a lot of te- technological and medical health advances. Um, I, I, I like having clean drinking water, you know, that I know I'm not going to get sick from, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but at the same time, we, we, we left a lot of damage in that way. And, and I think what we have on the planet today is this massive diversity, which is a good thing, of values. There are some of us that sort of believe in a slower, more minimalist, less money-focused, less power-focused existence on the planet as being one way to navigate the future. And then others who say, let's just you know double down and, and keep on trucking with what we're doing and go into the future that way. So why keep asking these questions, I think, is critical uh, because we don't obviously all agree that we should continue down the same path that we're going down for lots of different reasons, right? And this keeps coming, the, the, the idea keeps coming to my mind um, of something I wrote on a Medium article about, you know, we just, we, this, this hero worship thing that we do, we, we have a funny value system. You know, we look at the Kardashians or the Elon Musks or the Jeff Bezoses or even the Trumps of the world, or even, you know, to, to make it more global, sort of like, sort of like the royalty from the Middle East and the sheiks and, um, these, these massively wealthy and powerful individuals that, um, you know, continue to sort of expand and grow in this growth model, like more, 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 we look to those people as sort of being heroes. And we, and we, and we have this value system that, that whatever that is, we value it. You know, we value wealth and money and power and status. And I personally don't understand a lot of those things, uh, but that's the naive hippie in me. But obviously, many of us do, or we wouldn't, you know, support those things. You know, why does the media cover 
um, stories about Trump or stories about the Kardashians or stories about Elon Musk, you know, because I guess we're interested in it because we make these people into heroes. So, so I keep thinking, you know, why do we elect people? Because they keep saying, you know, if you want to change things, vote, right? That's our, that's the way you do it. You vote. Well, Paul Godola, in his book, A Peace and Integrity, he would argue that the way you change things is you change yourself, right? And then once enough individuals have changed, then we reach some threshold where um, we start to change things. And, and I agree with that, too. But I'm just too damn impatient. But neither one of those strategies is working for me. I, I, I want to change things more rapidly than that, and, and, and I'm... I, you know, beating my head against the wall trying to come up with what that is and kind of why I'm doing this. But in the article in Medium, I, I was saying we, we, the values that we look to look for in other people are just absurd. Why do we elect people whose values are power and money? And then they get into office and they find ways to increase their individual power, status, and money. And then we complain about it. Uh, and, and certainly the repercussions of those efforts are not um, communal, you know, right? It's like, what is the, what is the saying that I, I heard recently that just blew my mind that is not new, but I'd never heard it before. It's um, you privatize the gains and socialize the consequences. You know, we elect people that do those things. And so that's what our world reflects because we value those things. What if we valued vulnerability and openness and people that are willing to admit that they don't know and sort of the, I mean, you would almost look like the opposite of self-confidence or arrogance. You know, I think about a Ponzi scheme or a guerrilla marketing effort, and those people are massively confident and they're able to sell people on their ideas and take advantage of them. And I think, you know, we're all in a certain way being taken advantage of by the by a shell game of promises that never get met when it comes to voting and politics. But that's the people we choose. You know, it's like we're doing it intentionally. Um, or maybe we're unaware. I don't know. But that's what I'm trying to change. So I think if if we could all be if we could Surround ourselves with people and systems who, rather than take advantage and exploit our vulnerability, who recognize our vulnerability, appreciate our vulnerability, and sort of admit collectively that this is a key value that we want to maintain, this trust in each other to make good decisions. And then you sort of weed out the people who don't have that vulnerability because it's associated with these uh, this other value system, right? You know, um, People that crave power are never going to admit they don't know something or that their way might not be the best way. Um, anyway, I don't know necessarily what it looks like, but I think there's a different type of person, you know, more Mr. Rogers and less Donald Trump, who would actually make a good representative for a political system like a representative democracy. But we don't have any of those individuals participating, maybe very few, Um and as a result, it sort of turned into this completely different, you know, self-perpetuating isolationist monster uh, that doesn't do anything like what it was supposed to do in the first place. And so uh, there's something to this idea that our vulnerability might be our superpower. And, it, you know, but, but the existence of our vulnerability depends on it not being taken advantage of. But the capacity for it 
to be taken advantage of is never going to go away. Um, so the, the idea is like saying people that will admit they don't know, uh, and this is a massive reason I am looking for a different way to answer questions because scientists are exceptionally arrogant. Uh, the more professional they get, the more of a career that they build, the more of a reputation they get, the more restrictive they get, the less vulnerable they get, and the less willing to admit they don't know something they become. I mean, it's sort of this path, and the same thing goes in politics, the same thing goes with money, the same thing goes in religion, the same thing goes in philosophy. And so I'm looking for a thinking system, a new novel, neo-scientific, philosophical approach, indigenous, more indigenous approach that capitalize, not capitalizes, but sort of accentuates the vulnerability and saying, look, we just naively want to ask these questions in as open uh, and transparent and vulnerable a way as possible for no other reason but because we think the information gained is going to help us as a as a species. You know, that almost sounds like, I, I can't even believe I said that out loud, but that's the spirit of this whole thing. And that is how change is going to happen. That or like, you know, unilateral decisions by dictators or whatever. But I think this <laughs> collective, you know, truly democratic process um, that is more vulnerability, that is a bit naive, that is unrestricted by dominant paradigms in fields of study by ego, by arrogance, you know, that isn't restricted by all of these different factors that restrict all of these other methods of addressing and answering these questions, right? This is, this is what's different about the acid tests and, you know, 10, 13 minutes of trying to make that point. And if you go back to episode 99 or 98, uh, my idea of the evolution paradox, this is in essence, I think, the beginning of this idea, or or maybe the, the the embodiment of this idea, which basically says, if you look at a natural system, one of the most fundamental elements of all natural systems is change through time in nature. I mean, go all the way back to what we think we know about the Big Bang, up until you know the evolution of humans. All of that is basically molecules rearranging uh, in different packages changing through the time that's passed in the last 13 billion years or whatever. Um, that is the theme and that is what we look at and that is what we study and that is what we try to understand. Uh, and fundamentally that's one of the things that's changing. And then we have sort of things like the laws of thermodynamics that kind of explain what can or cannot happen. Matter can't be created or destroyed. It just gets rearranged. You know, energy isn't new. It just gets changes forms. You know, all that stuff is inherent, except in the last whatever how many years. What I see people trying to do is not change, to resist change, to force everything into a non-changing state. The only change that seems to be supported or encouraged anymore is economic growth or power growth um, <clears throat> or, you know, hoarding of resources. You know, they, we, we don't want to change any of the rules. We don't want to change any of the systems. We certainly don't want to change things that are going to affect the way people live. And so it becomes incredibly difficult to come up with a new economic system, to get rid of capitalism, to get rid of whatever version of capitalism we have in the different parts of the world to get rid of or, or redo or modify systems of government. Um, 
all of these things, we the, the biggest excuse we have is you can't make those kind of changes because it will affect too many kind of different people. It's sort of like the shift from fossil fuels to electric. The biggest arguments in the beginning were you're going to put all these companies out of business that that make our living and support all these people. You can't just close the gas stations. Um, that's the first resistance. Is, you know, there, there seems to be a massive global resistance to change. And I would argue that at some point in our not-too-distant ancestry, change was a fundamental part of life, and you did the best that you could. And the evidence for that is DNA and sexual reproduction. You know, we, we, every, life reproduced asexually for billions of years. And then it didn't. And sexual reproduction, which creates more variation, more diversity, more potential for adaptation to changing environmental conditions, and that became the fittest condition and sort of the new organisms evolving or whatever, new species, sexual reproduction became the norm. You know, there's a massive shift. Uh, because it creates, presumably, because it creates an opportunity for organisms to adjust to changing environmental conditions and persist. Because, again, part of the inherent theme of life is that the underlying conditions for life are going to change constantly. That's the whole, that's why I call that, that would be something I call a natural law. You know, as time passes, all of the, the, the foundation for life changes. And so life necessarily has to change. You can't just all of a sudden have one organism that's perfect at time X because at time X plus one, it's no longer going to be perfect in that. <laughs> it's going to die and then there's no more life. And so you get this, you get this uh, sort of co-evolution of adaptation to that change. And, and there's a whole lot of other what I want to explore in the upcoming episodes, and I'll, you know, at some point I imagine the episodes will be specifically about one natural uh, example, like the evolution paradox, where nature is this way, but we are fighting against it. And, uh, you know, I'm all for fighting against the machine uh, when the reasons are good, but I don't think. You know, there was a commercial in the 70s that said something to the effect of, it isn't nice to fool Mother Nature. And I don't remember anything about the context of it, but that's what I'm getting at here. You know, if we, tr- and, and that's sort of what we're doing as we continue to mine more and more limiting resources from the planet in order to sustain our lifestyles. We are fighting a losing battle. We are swimming upstream. We are going against the natural flow the natural system we're playing a game by rules our own rules and we're just one part of this whole thing what makes us so arrogant to think that we can completely reprogram 13 billion years of a system's evolution to suit our needs you know that's an interesting way to put it because i think that's what we're trying to do i I see this all the time on medium there are people i'm not i'm not me and maybe this makes sense to you, who think that we can technology our way out of any problem, that we will come up with some solution to solve a problem. And generally, those problems are things we've created, right? You know, wanting, okay, let's say it's 20,000 years ago, and we want to migrate north to live in some part of Siberia, because for two months out of the year, there's really good hunting. 
but we want to stay there year round. And so we develop ways to live in the extreme cold for 10 months out of the year. Maybe that's with furs and fire and igloos or, or whatever. I don't know. That's one way to solve a problem. Now, another way to solve that problem is to burn nearly infinite amounts of fossil fuels and, 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 and pipe water and sewage in and out of these places with massive amounts of infrastructure. Uh, I'm trying to make a point of there's a, there's a sort of low resource use, natural, local way to solve problems that are severely limited in by the in the degree to which they can address those problems like maybe that first village igloo sort of scenario might support a few hundred people whereas that second industrial may support tens of thousands of people but which one is going to last longer which one is going to create more waste which one is going to create more consequences you know it's like when you burn wood some very small percentage of it comes across as heat or light. The rest is just wasted to the atmosphere. When we burn fossil fuels or do massive construction efforts or pipelines or whatever to make these to solve these problems, such a small amount of those resources actually go towards solving the problem and so many of them are wasted. I mean, it's just a terrible it's not the right way to do it. It's I'm trying to think it's like if you had one person who was thirsty um you know, and you brought them a glass of water or a coconut full of water. That's one way to solve that problem. Or you could divert the path of a massive river to flow past that person at like millions of gallons per day so that they could take their one cup of water out of that. And all of that other water would be wasted. You know, we're, we don't think about long-term plans when we come up with solutions. And I think there's a, there's a much more balanced way to sort of ask these sort of questions. And again, these are, these are things that governments are supposed to do. We just don't. And the part of the reason that we don't is because the way that we, parts of the system like elections that we just don't do right. Okay. That's probably getting a little bit too far down the road, but I just wanted to sort of revisit the why should you care? Why should we do this? Why is it valuable? And I think, you know, the reasons again are the traditional ways that we have gone, that we are going about asking these questions have become victims to their own success. And we get things like narrow mindedness and myopia and tunnel vision and uh, bias and um, arrogance that are limiting the, the, uh, the organizational elements of things like of, of these disciplines are starting to restrict their question-answering capacity. So they're slower, they're not as good, they're weaker. Uh, and so we need ways that aren't restricted by these traditional constraints uh, to add to the mix. We need all of the different methods, but we need, we need some unrestricted ones. And I think one element of this is vulnerability. We have to be able to put ourselves out there to be wrong. We need ideas from lots of different people who who have an intelligence level that draws upon lots of different things, that have some level of creativity, that have some level of vulnerability to sort of say, I'm I'm not the smartest person in the room, but here are some things that I've that I've put together that I think are worth discussion and, and get those those people involved in these uh, discussions. I think we have to question whether or not resisting change. Uh, is smart and and get people together who are willing to be vulnerable to the consequences of implementing massive changes and having these these discussions and simply put don't have as much to lose to get people together who have a attitude that saying I don't know is actually a very productive trait and not uh, a negative thing um, to get people together who don't value money power and status and arrogance as being sort of a measure of a person's 
heroicness or or success, uh, and to and, and, and to embrace uh, uniqueness, differentness, and openness in um, in an effort to improve the future of humankind. Simply put, what can I say? That's the why of the acid test of using nature to sort of inform the big questions facing humans in the future. With that, I'll leave you. I thank you for your time. I'm Chris Bircher. This has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, the why of the acid test. Thanks, guys. Take it easy. <laughs>